So we're joined this week on the AA Ireland podcast by Kevin McPartnan. And Kevin is the CEO of Fuels for Ireland, and uh, it's a while since we spoke, Kevin. It is. It's more than a year, I would imagine, yeah. And look, uh, Kevin has been a great fund of information for us over the uh, years in in explaining the nuances of fuel in Ireland, what happens, how it works. And we invited Kevin back for a couple of reasons. One is just, we, we like you here. We like you having coming on. We're having a cup of coffee and a, and, a, and a chat. But also really just to look at the state of play of how fuel is in Ireland. But also... E10, which is a new type of fuel, a new recipe of fuel that's coming to Ireland that not a lot of people know about. So look, let's get into the into the weeds of that. Firstly, first things first, we are just about to put our another AA Ireland fuel prices survey out. Prices are steady enough. I won't ask you to comment on fuel pricing. It's not an area you can speak about. Um, but how are things in terms of the landscape? Prices are stable enough since Christmas. We had a drop. Um, but it's it's a long time since you and I spoke about um, where we were in terms of two euro per litre, etc. So so how are things in terms of the, the general market for fuel at the moment? Well, you're right. I mean, the, the, the last time we were talking about prices was in the midst of kind of huge volatility. I mean, crazy uh, rapid increases in price. I remember there were days when there was 10 cent going on a price of fuel uh, in a day, which was just, I mean, mind blowing uh, for for consumers and for the industry. It was hard to keep up with it. And there was a lot of um, a lot of uh, kind of hysteria around that. You know, there was all sorts of allegations going around, whatever, and people price gouging and there was suggestions that the CCPC needed to do an inquiry and and, and indeed they did <laughs> uh, and what it, what came out of it was that, that there was no collusion there was just the fact that the, vol- the market was extremely volatile and people were reacting to that we're not like gas or electricity where you set a price and it's in, in place for a number of months the the price that people pay at a forecourt is directly related to the wholesale price of petrol or diesel a couple of days or perhaps a week in advance of, of, of you and I going onto a forecourt and filling up. So uh, that's where we were. It was a tough time for the industry. Um, people um, struggled to, 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 to manage that kind of volatility. You also heard reports of, of you know, staff in forecourts being abused and insulted and, and threatened even uh, because people were so upset by the high prices and nothing that, that they had any con- uh, control over, let alone us. So it was a tough old time. Things are far more um, uh, stable now. Um, the price fundamentally is 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 kind of or has been stable for, for quite a while. And as you say, even if I knew and I don't uh, what price are likely to be, uh, I couldn't say because it, it could be seen as uh, anti-competitive. All I will say is there's nothing obvious on the horizon that looks like it's going to be hugely disruptive at this point in time. So, Kevin, in the EU, there has been a ban on Russian oil and more laterally, there was a ban on Russian oil products. So that would include diesel. How would that potentially affect us in Ireland? It really didn't have that much of an effect, Paddy, to be honest, because when Russia invaded Ukraine back in almost exactly a year ago now, um, there was very little Russian fuel that ever came into Ireland, either crude or refined product. Very, very but why, why is that when... It's such a big. Uh, Europe is such a big importer of Russian products. It's, ge- it's geography. It's because we're a small island on the edge of Europe, um, and most of that fuel that was going into Europe was going by pipeline. Uh, 
Right. So, the, so there were countries in Central Europe that were particularly dependent on, on Russian fuel. So um, we never had a huge amount coming in. It was, it was only ever dribs and drabs. But that meant that we were able to move really quickly. And Fuels for Ireland members very quickly said, we don't want to do business with Russia anymore, and started getting things from elsewhere. Slight disruption to the market in that you were bringing things in from further afield, uh, perhaps more expensive, and also the cost of shipping at that time were flying through the roof also. But we were impacted on price because the market around Europe was so disrupted. Now, the changes to the um, or the sanctions, or the sanctions were kind of stepped in gradually at different levels. Uh, and the, the final piece being, was it the 4th or the 5th of February? Uh, the first week of February, anyway. Um, and by that stage, we had real, really no exposure uh, to, to Russia, so it didn't make a significant difference. So uh, it, that piece is, is largely done. The interesting thing now and I mean right now, is the excise duty cut which the government introduced last March. So if you remember, it's 20 cent from, from petrol and 15 cent from, from diesel, some say 21 and 16, depending on whether you're counting the, the VAT in. Um, government had said that that was due to end at the end of February. And um, it was always said it was a temporary measure, and I think it's we can expect that it will be reinstated. Now... I don't think it will be reinstated in one go. And whether that starts at the end of February or not, I'm not sure. Uh, but we, we have made it clear to government that if you were to increase the price of petrol by 20 cent and the price of diesel by 15% tonight... Which is what, about a tenner a tank? Yeah, exactly that. Yeah, about 12 on my car. It's about 12 car. I, I worked it out. Um, then you will have queues outside every forecourt in the country today and forecourts would stock out. And we have to be really careful. If you remember, there was the situation was it a couple of years ago now in the UK where they had disruption to their, to their fuel supply. It wasn't that there was any shortage of fuel in the country. It was that there was a, this sudden spike in demand, which in turn created panic buying because people were saying, geez, I've heard that the, the place down the road is out of fuel. I better go and stock up while I can. How, how long would it take, in theory, to empty a petrol station, an average petrol station, if there was a run on it? Oh, it could happen in a day. Okay. It really could happen in a day. Uh, and I mean, there are some, uh, not very many, but there are some forecourts in the country that would get uh, a number of deliveries every day. So say ones on major motorways. Yeah. So I, th- I can think of one forecourt that I'm told has, has six deliveries a day. Wow. So if that place had a spike in demand, then it could be out of fuel by, by the time uh, drive time comes on tonight. But as we record this, Kevin, it's it's mid-February and we haven't heard anything about what the government plans to do in terms of duty. Uh, why is that? Uh, I think you might be unfair there, Paddy. I think that the, 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 there has been quite a lot of discussion about it. The Taoiseach has talked about there being no cliff edge on any of the energy measures. Yeah. Um, the uh, Minister of Finance has referenced the fact that, you know, he doesn't want to cause disruption to the market. So, and and to be fair, and look, I don't want to suggest for a second that I have any inside track. I don't. You know, mm-hmm. the, 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 the officials and the advisors and the politicians are very straight to this and as they should be um but i think we have had a good hearing from um, minister mcgrath's team and that they understand the disruption that a an instant dramatic increase in the price of fuel would have um and i, and I would be confident enough that they have heard that and are persuaded by the message that we've given them because surely the government made hay while the sun was shining as such when prices were up beyond two euro per litre they must have been really raking it in in terms of tax take per month, 
Yeah, and that's the point, because when they reduced the excise duty, it was suggested that it was some great concession to motorists. But in actual fact, because VAT is, is charged on the pump price, they're actually making more money. And that was why it was hard to take sometimes when the government were accusing, uh, or politicians were accusing the fuel industry of, of, of profiteering on this. You kind of go, well, actually, the only people who are making more money here are the Department of, Revenue, uh, the Department of Finance and Revenue. Do we you weren't. Th- do you think, and I'm asking you to speculate, do you think there was a hesitancy to tackle the fuel price issue at the time because of just how much that money was being taken in? Um, no, I, I think I'd, I think I think I'd have to be fair and say that the act to reduce the excise duty was pretty rapid. I mean, it was that first week in March, so it was the first couple of weeks of it happening. Now there was a lot of talk as the the crisis continued. I, I, I'm really aware of how how inadequate the language is to talk about what's happening in Ukraine. So I'm just park that. Uh, but as as the crisis continued and prices were continuing to increase. There was conversation about whether the government should act again, um, and they chose not to. What they did was they extended the excise duty cut in Budget 2023, which I think was a reasonable thing to do. Mm-hmm. So I don't have a great deal of criticism for the government in terms of the, the fiscal approach they have, ta- they have taken. It's in the past anyway. Uh, uh, but look, dealing with today, uh, and one of the main reasons we have you here is to talk about E10. Now, let's assume nothing, because you would be... Anyone would be for um, mistaken for thinking that they had missed the messages on uh, E10 because, as far as I can see, there haven't been that many or, or, or any. What is E10 for a start, and what what does E mean in terms of a fuel? And that's maybe the starting point. E is is for ethanol. So if any of your listeners uh, call into their local forecourt this afternoon and and top up with petrol, they will see on the nozzle there is a little sign that says E5. Ethanol five five percent of what the what they're pumping into their tank is ethanol. Uh, in the same way as if they use diesel, it will say B seven. That's seven percent biodiesel. Okay. And is is the ethanol bioethanol or could it be? Yes. Yeah, so the ethanol ethanol can be created from a number of different substances, but it tends to be uh, produced in the main in Europe as a co-product of other um, of other uses. So, so animal feeds and those sorts of things. The, the reason I ask is there being a, a message out this week from the EU that. Uh, obviously there would be ending of selling of petrol and diesel cars in 2035 and existing cars would have to run on a bioethanol blend. Will that blend form part of that E5, E10 in the future potentially? Yeah, we're opening a whole other, a whole other <laughs> topic of conversation, which is, which, but, but, but I think what we need to be thinking about is zero emission vehicles rather than electric vehicles because you can have zero emission liquid fuels. Okay. You know, already um, a number of my members run their own fleets on HVO, which reduces the emissions by close to 90%. Uh, for, you know, uh, on a on a, an existing diesel engine, you don't have to have any changes to the to the. Um, we're we're, the power we're train. operating a project here in AA currently to do that with our um, AA patrol vehicles as well. But but with e, so with so E five is a five percent ethanol blend. Exactly. So E ten obviously converts to ten percent one. Why? So the, so the main reason is in terms of climate action and to look at how you can reduce the carbon emissions from transport. Uh, so. It's right to say that perhaps not many punters have heard too much about this up until now, but it is in the Climate Action Plan. It's been in the government's uh, uh, legislation programme for a number of years. We've been calling for it since I took this job four and a half years ago. We've been asking for this to be mandated, and we keep being told it's happening and it's imminent and it's imminent. And, and I think 
it probably is now, which is why it's of interest to talk about now. But but why we're doing it is to 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 look at how you can uh, reduce emissions from transport. And when you talk about reducing those emissions, let's be clear what we're talking about. If you, according to the uh, Irish um, Bioenergy Association, if you were to introduce E10 tomorrow, it would have the same impact as putting a hundred thousand EVs on on the road. Now we only have sixty seven, sixty eight thousand EVs on the road right now, mm-hmm. so you would be having more impact than all of the EVs that are currently a part of our national fleet, if such a thing were to exist. So this is a really significant change. Uh, it's, it, and you say it's, a, it's a, a new fuel. Well, it's new to Ireland. It's not that new, actually. You know, it's, it's standard in the States. It's been standard in the States for years. Yeah, but new to us, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and in Europe, it's, it's, it's uh, very widely adopted. In the UK, it was uh, put in place last year. So it's very well-established technology. Is there a hesitancy on behalf of the current government to talk about E10 and positive at a positive light because it's a f- fossil fuel as such? Well, the ethanol isn't a fossil fuel, but they, clearly the 90% is, is coming from mineral oil. And, it is, and I, I have to say, I, I do kind of suspect that there is a little bit of an ideological bias against this, that, that you know... Um, you know, certain of our leaders would far rather talk about electric vehicles, you know, uh, than they would about E10, even though by introducing E10, we will have instantly at no great capital expenditure and actually probably no operating expenditure. The the price will, will, right now, the price of ethanol is marginally cheaper, like a fraction of a cent. Nobody will notice any difference in price. Uh, But the minister would much rather talk about EVs than about E10, and I do. Uh, being honest, and and you know, you can ask him yourself whether whether I'm, I'm misreading him. Uh, I do think a little bit of that is ideological. That it's you know we don't want to do anything that will support the existing fossil fuel industry. In, in actual fact, and I don't think that's fair because what it's actually doing is supporting the transition away from fossil fuels and into advanced synthetic and biofuels. Because there's an, there's an issue there with electric vehicles that, that that's pretty obvious. We you know you and I are are car guys. We like our cars. We'd be aware of pricing. And if you walk into a, a showroom now and want to buy a family-sized EV and one that will travel across the country, it's not cheap. So, so we're looking at electric vehicles, which are, are coming on stream. They're, they're going well, but there's only a certain percentage of the population can afford them. So it would make logical sense to push the people who have to put petrol or diesel into their cars into a fuel that will do a better job for the environment. That's that's my view. And beyond that, Paddy, you have to think about that. So you're right. You know, for, for somebody to make the switch right now is a large expenditure. Okay, whether they buy new or secondhand, and, this, and all of the problems about getting secondhand EVs need a further discussion. But that's a fairly significant investment. But what it also means is that that the way we have taxed fuel has been at least in part. Uh, been justified by saying it's to push people away, it's to nudge them away from using fossil fuels and get them into renewables, okay? Which, at first glance, seems to make sense. But as you say, the cost of moving to an EV is very high. So who are the people who are going to be left behind? Who are the people who are going to be last to change to an EV? And they're going to be the people who are less materially advantaged. Let's try and find a politically correct term. So if you are somebody who is you know, driving around in a 15-year-old, you know, car, that's probably because that's what suits your budget. But you're going to be the last or among the last people who can change to the new EV. But if our plan is to keep increasing the tax on fossil fuels in order to push people to EVs, they're the people who can least afford that. 
Oh, we haven't we haven't hit that 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 realization yet in policy circles. I don't think that the people who you are who you need to move are the least equipped to move. So the first time that I spoke about E10 on this podcast was in uh, a conversation I had with a classic car dealer, David Golding, uh, last year. And he said that E10 was causing consternation within his community, in the classic car community, because several cars weren't equipped to run it. And he had heard of a very, very, and I'll say again, very expensive Aston Martin that... Um, As opposed to one of the cheap ones. Yeah, <laughs> a really, really expensive old one that burst into flames. Yeah, look, and, and you will always hear the, hear, hear the stories. There is a legitimate concern from, from, the, from the classic car um, uh, community, uh, for a less loaded term. The reality is that any car that's been produced or sold in Europe since 2009 is certified as... as, as um, not compliant, what's the word, uh, um, uh, compatible sure. with E10, okay? Um, now, the cars before then may not be certified as compatible. That's not to say they're not compatible. It just means to say they, 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 they weren't certified. But we have we have one of the uh, more elder car parks in Europe. We do, indeed. Now, but you look at the UK where they introduced this. Now, in the UK, because they have had for many, many years two grades of petrol, they were able to keep what they call a protection grade. So if you wanted to, you could spend an extra few centiliter and continue to use E5. The sales volumes of, of, of premium grade in the UK didn't change significantly at all. So what that tells you is that, the, and again, the person who is driving the 20-year-old car, because that's what fits their budget, they're the least likely people to spend an extra three cent, four centiliter to have this premium fuel that's E5. So the international experience overwhelmingly is that it's fine for all vehicles. Now, if I had an extremely expensive Aston Martin, unfortunately I don't, would I be aware of the changes to E10? I certainly would. But there are things that can be done to assist that. And and it will mean that people who are driving classic cars probably need to service their cars a bit more regularly. They need to think about the, the, the gasket. Additives also, yeah. But they need to think about the gaskets and seals and, and perhaps even hoses on some of them because E10, I can't remember the technical term, a term which means it absorbs a bit of water and it can put water through the seals. So they need to be changed more often. Okay, okay. Well, we can, we can certainly ask one of our A patrols about that. So Kevin, we know this fuel is coming. Do you know when it's likely to start coming into the Irish market? That is the, uh, that's the big question at the moment. So there is a, a piece of legislation going through the Oireachtas right now, which should, should, I'm told by Department of Transport uh, uh, officials as, early, as recently as an hour ago, should be in place uh, for the act to commence on the 1st of April. Then that will mean that we can transition to E10 when we go through the planned uh, transition blend, which happens between May and June. And this is an interesting thing because maybe even, you know, informed motorists, the type of people who listen to your podcast might not know this, but twice a year we change our fuel blend. We have a winter blend and a summer blend. And the winter is just, it, it, it's to prevent some of the waxing that might happen with, in, in colder weather. So we do that transition every year. Nobody ever notices. I never notice when I'm filling my car, whether I'm on the summer or winter blend. The exact same thing will happen this time. So when we make the transition from the winter blend into the summer, that will ch change to E10 fuel. And the only thing that people will notice, if they notice it at all, will be the sticker on the nozzle that I talked about at the very start of our conversation will change from E5 to E10. That's all that would be different. Being cautious about talking about pricing, but would the fuel be more expensive? Right now, uh, the price of E10 and E5 
are absolutely comparable. If anything, there is a very small um, uh, difference in the favour of E10, but it's like it's a fraction of a cent, and there's so many other things going on right now that that, that people won't notice it, to be honest. And obviously, this doesn't include diesel. No, no. Now, I mean, our next phase is to be talking about what we increase diesel to. So, I mean, we already do sell uh, B or some fuel trial members do sell B20 diesel. So that's a 20% bio blend into captive fleets. But there's also, as we talked about at the start, the potential for HVO to be used for for diesel fleets. So, is there anything for anyone listening to this to be concerned about with this introduction? No, I honestly don't think there is. Uh, but, but I mean, would it be preferable? that we knew a little bit more about it, that people had had a chance to have conversations around it, that we were able to put this, um, uh, to reassure people about this. Uh, yeah, it would. I would much prefer that um, uh, government had taken a lead on actually uh, describing this change and the rationale for it. But why do you think they haven't? I, I do think we're coming back to that ideological piece. I think that, that there, is a, there is a view that anything which, and this would be their terminology, which extends the reliance on fossil fuels is to be discouraged. I don't think that's what it does. I think we really need to be looking at, and, and speaking on behalf of Fuels for Ireland and, and our members, mm. we know our transition is away from fossil fuels. We don't need to be told we get that. And our transition is to advanced synthetic biofuels, it's to hydrogen for power to X, it's all of these different things. Uh, and, and this is a stepping stone. And I think we kind of have um, government policy, which seems to be based on the bridge of the Starship Enterprise. We can beam from point A to point B without ever having to uh, have a journey in between. It's an instant change. That doesn't happen. What we need to look at is transitionary measures. Someone cynical listening to this would say, well, of course the Automobile Association are going to say that, and of course Fuels for Ireland are going to say that. You know, we both represent different interests. Um, So it seems strange that it would be up to the Automobile Association or Fields for Ireland to educate people about this? Yeah, it really does. And I am cynical. (laughs) So uh, it does seem strange. It does seem strange that you have a policy measure which the government is introducing which will decrease carbon emissions from transport by more than all of the existing EVs on the road and the Department for Environment, Climate, Communication and the government as a whole are not jumping up and down and singing songs about what a great uh, measure this is. I'm surprised. So it's essentially as it, what it looks like is that this will just sneak in under the radar. One day we'll go to fill our car and it's, it's E10 and that's it. It will. And I, I, I was up in Belfast two weeks ago and I filled my car in Belfast and it was only when I was halfway down to Dublin I realised that I was, I'd used E10 for the first time. Because that's that's the standard fuel north of the border, so it it is absolutely. So I had that experience of using it and not realising until I was an hour and a half down the road, and I thought, oh, that was my first tanker of E10. But but again, and it, it's I'm sort of being devil's advocate here. Is there a sense that it's better for people who are driving their petrol or diesel cars to feel that sort of guilt that they should really be in an EV and that putting this fuel into their car, they're you know. Perhaps, perhaps that's that's part. We're getting speculation. Yeah, perhaps that's part of the motivation. But I think what you actually want to be saying to people is: listen, if you can't afford to go off and spend tens of thousands replacing your family car with a with a family EV, here is something that you can do as a decent, responsible person who has some vague sense of morality and isn't a climate change denier. Do you not want to have a, a, a scope to make some contribution? 
because mm. I do. I, I run the oil industry association for the country, and I and I have that sense of responsibility. So I would like to be able to do that. And I, and I, and you know, the uh, European Commission did some research a few years ago. You know, and seventy five percent of citizens in Europe want there to be increased use of biofuels to help reduce emissions from from internal combustion engines. And the other thing about it is it's a stepping stone. If we get this right, in France, you can buy 95% ethanol. You can buy a fuel which is only 5% fossil fuel. That's the direction we need to be going into. And again, in relation to that that percentage, how far do you know that uh, can normal cars in Ireland take? What blend could they, in theory, take? Say even a five-year-old car, could it take E15 if that was such a thing, or E20? Well, in France, those cars are taking it. And the other thing that you'd say, and, and let's be honest, most of the cars and most vehicles in Ireland are diesel. HVO is a drop in fuel on a on a kind of a, a physical basis. It is identical to diesel. I think it's good at this point to pause and just try and explain to people what HVO is. We've used that terminology without uh, necessarily explaining it. Yeah, so it's so it's a form of biodiesel, um, and it can be made from a number of different feedstocks, and uh, you know algae and waste food and, and, and also as a co-product from various different other things. Is that the, uh, is that the same as uh, using old chipper oil as no, well? No, it's actually not. That's different. So, so when I said earlier on that we have currently we have 7% uh, biodiesel, in Ireland almost all of that currently is coming from used cooking oil. Okay? okay. And at 7% we are right at what the, the uh, geeks in our industry will term as the, the blend wall. If you put much more than seven percent used cooking oil into diesel, that waxing problem. So if if you know, um, I, I know you're terribly sophisticated, Paddy, and you'll have all sorts of extra virgin olive oils in your pantry. Yeah. Home. So if you leave those on a cold day and that kind of wax that forms in the bottom, same principle with a car. Then exactly right? okay. that, and you don't want that on your your patrol uh, colleagues. No. Definitely are used to going and finding a, a fuel filter that's clogged with that because it, it's it's been. Uh, so the HVO is different then. The HVO is made from various different other yeah. organic substances. And is essentially diesel. Like wow, it is okay. a synthetic diesel. Um, and right now it's quite expensive. Um, so it's great to see the AM making that investment and saying we're prepared to pay a little bit more because we want to have that positive environmental impact, uh, as a number of my members have. Uh, and what that means is that, that anybody who runs a diesel vehicle, a diesel truck, car, dumper truck on a building site, whatever, can drop that fuel in with no changes at all to their vehicle and run that. So there are biofuels out there which are getting us really, really close to carbon-free. In fact, closer than, let's be honest, an EV that's being plugged into the Irish uh, electrical grid right okay. now when you take the <laughs> well-to-wheel exactly. um, uh, element of, of carbon emissions. And overall, more less expensive for, for uh, the owner for, for a few years. Porsche as well have developed a synthetic fuel. I, I've read about that recently, which is you know fuel made in a lab. Yeah, there's any, there's any number of these kind of alternatives. There are people who are doing it from waste plastics, from uh, household waste, from um, from from crops, and we have to come back to that and talk about you know one of the problems with biofuels. One of the concerns around biofuels is that you you um, divert away from from food production. But I'll, but I'll come back to that. So all of these different feedstocks can create biofuels, advanced fuels, synthetic fuels, and then you have to talk about hydrogen so in a country that has this phenomenal scope for producing electricity through wind power offshore wind in particular 
You can't store that very easily, but what you can do is use it to create hydrogen, which you can put into the gas network for heating our homes, or you can create, um, uh, or you can use it for um, fuel cell electric vehicles, hydrogen to fuel those. Okay, it's very interesting. I suppose I'd like to finish off really just asking you about supply in Ireland. Are, you know, are we okay? Um, are there any factors that would make us worry a tiny bit, or is there there nothing to see here? Yeah, so the 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 supply has been very much in 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 the spotlight since the invasion of Ukraine, because while yes, we all saw the impact on price, what consumers possibly didn't see or hopefully didn't see was the work that was done to make sure that we had security of supply in this country, uh, because it was a challenging piece of work to do. Now, again, that is much more stable now. I, I, sat, I sat with you in the Oireachtas, and I remember you saying quite alarming numbers about where stock levels were at various stages. Yeah, there was a time uh, soon after the uh, invasion of Ukraine where there was one and a half days worth of stock of diesel in the country and had the next ship hit stormy weather, mm-hmm. we would have been in trouble. Well, I don't know whether you're able to share this information, but what would happen? And again, big caveat, we're nowhere near that. Absolutely. No, that's the first, we have to reassure people yeah. there, there is no, no danger at the moment what at all. What would happen in that case? Where, where does the fuel go? So what I say there's been a focus on this since the invasion of Ukraine. What I mean by that is the government very carefully and in quite a, 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 a an impressive way, to be honest, um, reviewed the oil emergency allocation uh, plan and the oil emergency release plan. So there are two different things. The oil emergency release is we have what is called the National Oil Reserves Agency. So that is obliged under international law to hold 90 days worth of stock. So if no oil came into the country from tomorrow onwards, we would have 90 days operating exactly as we operate today. But is that all for you and I? to use well that's an interesting question we'll come back to that <laughs> the oil so that's the first part of this this process the second part then is the oil emergency release scheme which is to say if we are in a situation and again we are not and we don't expect yes. to be in one there is nothing to say this is anywhere on the horizon but it's prudent to plan for emergencies I, I, the example i use is i've been in hundreds of fire drills i've never been burnt yeah, you know exactly. uh, this is a fire drill so There is a significant plan, which is to say who gets fuel in the emergency situation. So, you know, obviously the emergency services, but also the electricity network staff, also medical staff to get to and from work, those sorts of people. And and I know the AA patrols would be included in kind of those essential people. Uh, So a lot of work has been done developing that. Now, come back to the question that you asked me before, is all of that stock that's held by Nora available to me and you to to put into our car to drive off and and go see my mammy. Uh, At the moment, the big focus on the overall energy security is to make sure that the electricity grid remains on for as long as possible, for as many people as possible. And it has now um, become clear that the government would plan to use some of that Nora stock for what they call secondary generation. So some of the plants which are, are... gas-fired ordinarily are actually dual purpose they can be fired by by oil stocks so and i'm not betraying any confidence because this has been reported in the media there was an exercise um uh, back in um in november or december in the national emergency coordination center where this was discussed and some of the figures were quite shocking you know that if we were in a situation where there was a 20% reduction in the gas available to Ireland on a day when the wind isn't blowing terribly hard. We would need to use 60% of our daily 
diesel use to top up the electricity network. So, back to your question, is all of that 90 days available to us? The the plan is that it would be available for, for, for to replace existing uses of diesel. But if there were to be an emergency around gas supplies, then they would be able to dip into that supply. So in, you would have a situation where, in the event of that happening, EV drivers would be charging their car based on fuel reserves from North. I think if we were in that situation, the there would be restrictions on charging EVs as well. Okay. Being honest, I think there would be, be because there would have to be um, um, management of the electricity load as well. And I think I think that might be one of the things that would, I don't know. Again, being, let's let's know. reiterate yeah. the fact that this but, is uh, yeah. not this, oh, it's is a, this is this is a drill. This yeah. is a drill. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so look. I mean, the state of the the state of the uh, the, the market seems reasonably stable currently. Um, we will keep an eye on where things are going. The E10 issue, I guess, in summary, is that you don't necessarily need to worry. It's just you're going to go one day. There's going to be a different sticker on the pump. It's going to be around the same price, and your car is going to perform the same. Exactly. No issue in terms of economy or anything like that. It's just all all similar. There, there is, to be completely upfront, there is a marginal. Uh, and I th- yeah. from from memory, and I, I, I'm I'm afraid to quote a figure in case I get it wrong, but I think it's 1.4%. More okay. But you will know you will know that if your tire pressure is wrong, you could lose more than yeah. 1.4% of your efficiency. Three percent on the on the yeah. wrong tire. If you have pressure. a roof rack, if you're carrying your golf clubs in the boot of the car, you know there are all of these different things. It, it is negligible. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, listen, Kevin, thank you so much for joining us. Again, we will have you back because you are always a fund of information about this topic. Um, you, you would be surprised with the amount of questions we get about petrol and diesel. But uh, watch this space and we'll certainly have Kevin on again.